Today, I'd like to tell you a story through the words of the Apostle Paul. It's called A Tale of Two Cities. Now, admittedly, I did borrow this title from the British author Charles Dickens. He wrote a book with the same title about London and Paris in the time of the French Revolution. But now today, for this story, we're going back further in time yet and in distance, all the way back to ancient Greece. The first Christians in two Greek cities, Corinth and Philippi. So the Christians in those cities had a lot in common. They spoke Greek. They spoke the same language. They lived near each other. And Paul had visited each city on his missionary journeys. He shared the gospel in each one. And yet, the differences in how they accepted the gospel message and how they responded to Paul were startling. By way of background, the ancient city of Corinth sits on a narrow land bridge between the Peloponnese Peninsula and the Greek mainland. The city itself began as a harbor facing west towards the Gulf of Corinth. A short distance away was another harbor town, Sencria, facing east towards the Aegean and towards Asia. Now, about 500 miles or so to the northeast of Corinth lays another city called Philippi. Now, Philippi stood on the main route between Europe and Asia at that time. So if you traveled from Rome or Athens headed east towards Asia, Turkey, you passed through Philippi. The Apostle Paul visited each city on his missionary journeys, and he founded churches in both places. He reached Philippi first and later went on to Corinth. In fact, Philippi, Philippi probably is the first location in which anyone in Europe was converted to Christianity, and that person's name was Lydia. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. She was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Acts 16, 14 through 15. Paul later wrote the book of Philippians to the Christians there. And even though he went to Philippi first, he spent much more time in Corinth. In fact, he traveled there three different times and stayed in Corinth for over a year on one of his trips. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria, the eastern-facing town, because of a vow he had taken, Acts 18, 18. So Paul was getting ready to sail for Syria from the east-facing harbor town of Sancria that I mentioned earlier. We don't know why he cut off his hair, other than that he had vowed to do so for some reason. After he left, Paul naturally wrote to the Christians in Corinth. And the letters or the books we know today are 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. One more may have been written, but it's now lost. Those letters to the Christians in Corinth stand in harsh contrast, harsh contrast to his letter to the Philippians. Within the two books to the Corinthians, there are chapters of a great beauty, but the books resound with criticism for the way the wayward folks of the church in Corinth. Paul wrote this. 
some of you have become arrogant. And if I were not coming to you, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? 1 Corinthians 4.14. Yikes! You mad, bro? Clearly, Paul was angry at them. Now, he loved the people of both churches, but he had to work much harder to reach and reform the Corinthians. Maybe that's why he spent so much time there. But his two books to the people of Corinth are not all negative. In fact, he wrote the most famous love letter of all to them. He wrote, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and verse 13. Despite his love for them, the people of Corinth were clearly a burden to Paul. They were like toddlers. Without supervision, they lost their way and wandered off. He wrote this, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk. Not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3. Contrast Paul's approach to the people of Corinth with his attitude towards the people of Philippi. With them, Paul simply felt joy, pure, uncomplicated love, happiness, and joy. He wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 3-6. So what was the difference between the two cities? Two people, same language, same a lot, but... The Philippians and the Corinthians, though close in distance, were so different. Once they heard the gospel message, the Philippians embraced it immediately, letting go of idol worship from the past, freeing themselves from the, the cares and the anxieties of the world. They embraced Christ and they loved Paul because he brought them the good news about Jesus. The Philippians saw the world through the eyes of Christ. They realized that earthly life held no lasting or permanent charm, so they turned to the spiritual truth found only in the mind of Christ. They were like a child prodigy who turns to music with joy and learns fast with little urging. Before long, the child sings or plays the piano or guitar with skill and pleasure. But by contrast, the Corinthians bickered and brawled like unruly kids. They were given opportunities to learn, but they seldom profited from them. They never did their homework. 
They never practiced what they had been taught. Whatever lessons they learned faded quickly. As soon as Paul left town, the fighting, the drinking, the jealousy, and endless squabbling started right back up again. The Corinthians took each other to court over petty disagreements. They engaged in immoral and even perverse sexual acts. Some of them certainly turned to God and gave up their wicked ways, but it was always a struggle, always a difficult process. Now, I do have to confess that my life has had more in common with the unruly kids of Corinth and the gifted prodigies of Philippi. I often envied the life of the good kids, but I could never actually buckle down and be one. Like the Corinthians, I listened, but it took a long time. The lessons I learned came from hard knocks, not gentle persuasion. That God was patient and his lessons finally penetrated my hard head. Now, finally, I began to realize that there was more to life than just what I could see. In fact, those things that had seemed foolish and crazy to me began to make sense. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 and 31. Now, what a contrast we see in Paul's letter to the Philippians. He stayed in close contact with them over the years and across the miles that separated them. At the time he wrote to the church in Philippi, he languished in in custody in Rome, he was in essentially house arrest. He faced other problems too, death, disease, discomfort. It was a rough time for him yet. And he even worried about people who had come to see him when he, you know, most of us would have worried about ourselves. One of the ones who came to see him from Philippi got sick and nearly died. And his, man, his name was Epaphroditus. But Paul was so worried about him that when he got well, he sent him back to Philippi to, to take a message back to the people there. So despite the difficulties Paul faced, he asked the Philippians to join with him and make his joy complete by following the example of Christ. And they did that. No bickering, gossiping, pettiness, envy, strife, nothing. They loved Paul, they loved one another, and they grew in their faith. Though Paul had visited Philippi before he ever went to Corinth, he did not write to them first. In fact, he sent letters to the Corinthians six or seven years before he ever wrote to the Philippians. Paul wrote letters filled with love to the people, the Christians in both cities, because he loved them. And he felt a strong sense of responsibility to them. His letters to the Corinthians began and ended with entreaties that they would mend their ways. And no doubt many did but not enough for Paul to feel easy about that. Even in the last chapter of his second letter to the Corinthians, nothing much had changed. So he wrote, This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority God gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. 2 Corinthians 13.10 The tone is clear. A father scolding, chastening, disciplining his wayward but beloved children. His letter to the Philippians had none of this tone. 
It was written about six or seven years later than Second Corinthians, and maybe, and he was older, obviously. Maybe he was more patient by then. Yet I think the tone reflects the simple fact that the Philippians never gave him reason to be uneasy or angry or upset. With them, he rejoiced, and he wrote these heartfelt and beautiful words to them. He wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. So the joy felt by Paul and the people of Philippi cannot be understood really in plain human terms. God has to touch our hearts before any of this makes sense. Choosing joy can occur in the twinkling of an eye or can be the work of a lifetime. We can live with joy in this knowledge right now like the Philippians or we can be like the cranky Corinthians. Paul understood the conflict in the Corinthians because he himself had lived a tale like theirs. In fact, his life was a tale of two radically different men. Before Christ, he was a wicked, murderous persecutor of Christians. After Christ, he became the greatest Christian missionary of all. Some of us have come through a transformation not unlike Paul's. Those who knew us back then might not even recognize us today after Christ. A few of us, the smart ones were like the Philippians, immediately accepting salvation and living a life in Christ. Others, me, leaned more toward the model of the wayward Corinthians. We had to be chastised, disciplined, and dragged, kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. Thank God we had parents, teachers, wives, family members, friends praying for us. When he wrote the book of Philippians, Paul suffered in bondage in the city of Rome, yet he did not whine or complain, did not tell a tale of misery and woe. Instead, he used his time to write a letter to his friends in Philippi, a letter full of joy and encouragement, not just to them, but to everybody, to us. We're reading it today. The gospel message Paul learned from Christ is abundantly clear. You cannot serve both God and the world. You must choose. You must choose. Either follow Jesus or the world. Walk in the light or stumble around in the darkness. Now, if Paul was alive today, traveling the world and visiting believers in all nations, what would he think if he came here? Let's say he spent time here in our town and later wrote us a letter. Call it, the Book of Camuelians or the, the Book of Wyomians, the Book of Wycoloans. What would he say? Would he feel the need to chastise us as he did the Corinthians? Or would he write to us with pure joy as he did to the Philippians?
you tell me. Yours in Christ, Kurt.